0: Good morning, everyone. So, this morning we're going to be uh, continuing the series in Acts chapter 3 through 7. And this is really a section of the book of Acts that deals with the spread of the gospel in Jerusalem. And as I've kind of titled the theme of these lessons, what we see in the beginning of the church is the power of the gospel uh, to create the kind of community that God had always been looking forward to, that He'd been prophesying about in the Old Testament. And we see the wisdom of God ultimately being culminated together in this group, laying a foundation to prove God's wisdom in what he had accomplished in building this group here in the new covenant. Um, I've titled this lesson in Acts 6, 1 through 7, Problem Solving. And I'll put some principles initially here on the board after we read this again and kind of introduce what's going on a little bit more. but. We've already seen this in Acts kind of recently. If you look back in chapter 5, the churches had problems that they've been faced with already. And after they had to deal with the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, in verse um, 14, it says, And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. So the problems that they were facing as those things were being confronted in a godly way We're not hindering their growth, but we're really um, amplifying and causing even greater growth. We see that at the beginning of chapter 6, verse 1, when through chapter 5 they continue to face external persecution, external pressures, yet with great resolve they continue preaching uh, in the temple from house to house. They keep on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ, and chapter 6 begins with the number of disciples increasing in number. And so what we're seeing in the book of Acts is the church being equipped to deal with and overcome problems to face any problem that that they're confronted with and not just not divide from those problems but actually to thrive and to grow through them so let's read chapter 6 1 through 7 again and we'll talk a little bit more about some initial principles of how the church was overcoming these problems chapter 6 verses 1 through 7 now at this time while the disciples were increasing in number a complaint arose on the part of the hellenistic jews against the native hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So while the church in Jerusalem is growing and even thriving, a problem arises. You see in verse one, a complaint arose. And this lesson and what we had just studied last week in the lesson on the book of Numbers, when you know they were complaining about food in that context as well, uh, the nature of the complaint and how this is addressed is obviously radically different than how things were handled in the book of Numbers with the nation of Israel. And I think one thing that we need to be very aware of is Satan is always striving to tear down our view of each other, to plant resentment, bitterness, tension, conflict. And what you see in Jesus's life and ministry is Jesus always addresses those things very directly, but in a kind of spirit that always diminished those tensions and resolved them. And we see that, I think, with the apostles here. So a complaint arises that would have caused a lot of potential tension that could have divided the entire uh, church in Jerusalem, but instead, not only is this situation solved again in a way that doesn't cause division, but in verse 7, they're only more fortified in their unity and more determined to spread the gospel. So a couple of principles as we get into this lesson that are really going to serve as a foundation for everything that we're going to be studying uh, this morning. Um, i thought about some of these statements, and I want to say these things very boldly, that in Christ Every problem that we could face as a local church, that in Christ, God is able to turn every problem into a tool for growth. That there's no problem we face in our work together as a local church, or in our relationships, that if we're willing to address problems faithfully and in Christ, then God is able to turn problems into a tool that actually is able to cultivate growth, leadership, unity, and it's important to recognize that problems are simply a reality of growth in our work together. Um, where people are, there's always going to be problems, opportunity for tension, especially as a church grows, let's say even numerically like is happening here. You get more personalities, more uh, different places people are in life, people with different backgrounds, people with different preferences and convictions. And what you're going to end up having is opportunities for tension. But again, if we face those things in Christ, all of those problems that can arise from growth actually become tools to cultivate even greater growth. And so again, I want to say this boldly, that in Christ, we're equipped with the resources to solve any problem that would threaten our unity and work together in the Lord. So that's not to say that we will face every problem correctly, or that local churches do face every problem correctly. Um, Before I moved to Alabama in 2014, I'd never really heard about churches dividing very much. And then when I moved to Alabama for a couple years, it was like the idea of a church dividing was incredibly common and just kind of normal. And that was very strange to me because in Minnesota, churches had never divided. That wasn't a thing at all. And that should be seen as the uttermost catastrophe of a local church's identity and work together, that that would ever happen, right? Right. And I think the principles of this lesson, if we follow them, God is able to not only preserve the unity that we have in this church, but cause it to flourish and grow no matter the kind of diversity that we may even end up having in the future. So again, it's, it's not that we will face every problem in a proper faith and attitude. It's that in Christ, at least and maybe at most, we are equipped with the resources to overcome any problem, to deal with any problem and maintain our unity and grow in it. So what we need to do is then to understand the resources that we have and utilize those resources to seek solutions when we're confronted with problems. So how did they address this problem? What did the apostles do? And I want to start, start with thinking a little bit more about the problem. So as the number of disciples were increasing, there were Hellenistic Jews who were widows, and there were native Hebrew women who were widows, and they needed to be taken care of by the brethren in the daily distribution of food. Now, Hellenistic Jews would have been those who maybe, well, not maybe, Hellenistic Jews were those who were more adapted to the Greek culture. So they were still like Jewish people, but they had adapted maybe more the Greek language, Greek customs, a little bit more of maybe a Greek identity. But the native Hebrews were those who are more exclusively devoted to preserving both the culture and the identity of the Jewish people exclusively. And so why would this be such a potentially divisive situation? You have very vulnerable people who are being ignored in a great need. And I imagine when it says they're being neglected, this this didn't just happen one time. But this was something that was ongoing. And this may have even been a racial problem, that you had people who were Hebrews who maybe took a lot of pride in their identity, and so they just either weren't noticely, notice noticing, or even worse, maybe they were even deliberately neglecting Hellenistic Jews because of, again, maybe some kind of racial issue that was going on. And so the apostles are notified about this, and what did they do? Did they dwell in the problem? I think a good way to to illustrate problems is kind of like quicksand. That sometimes you could have people where when there's a problem that arises, that someone can end up getting into the problem in a way where they sink with the people who are involved and they all end up dying without anybody escaping. But if somebody ends up extending something to the people who are sinking and pulling them out, it may be difficult and it may require some time and some wisdom. But really what we need to do when we're thinking about problems and how those things are brought up, we're looking at solutions. And so the way that this was brought up and handled again, I don't think this was like an unrighteous complaint, but that this out of necessity was brought up as, hey, here we have a problem. It's one thing to notice a problem, and it's important to notice problems. It's another thing to communicate a problem, and that's also really critical. But it's another thing entirely to work on solving the problems that are noticed and communicated. That's what we see the local church doing in the book of Acts. They didn't just notice problems. They didn't just bring them up. But when they were brought up, they worked on solving them and resolving them entirely. Really, the first thing that we see is there is communication. It Really, if you want a problem to fester and explode, just don't notice it or outright ignore it. You know, a lot of times in a local church, you end up having like an elephant in the room where you have something going on and either nobody's willing to just be courageous and confront it and just openly acknowledge it, or there's a pride that is making everybody blind to what might be obvious. You know, sometimes this happens when like you visit a local church where everybody's maybe used to certain things happening a certain way and somebody comes in and it's like, whoa, There is a problem here, something's really wrong, right? And a lot of times that can come from a pride. And so pride ends up being a very blinding agent that causes us to miss or overlook or again, just completely ignore problems that need to be addressed. So communication is really the bedrock of unity. I think we see this obviously in any relationship, but especially relationships like marriage. What happens if in marriage there's no good communication when dealing with problems, If there's no willingness to even resolve problems when they're brought up, right? You're going to have a breakdown of the relationship and tension is just going to rise more and more. And I think the apostles, they had learned this from somewhere, how to handle problems in this way. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 9. And in terms of problem solving, this has been one of the most helpful things from the ministry of Jesus that at least I've noticed that has helped me be more bold and more proactive when dealing with problems, to not ignore them. Turn to Mark chapter 9, 33 through 37. And again, just thinking about the apostles were the ones who really took the lead here to address this issue. And where did they learn to deal with communication in the right way and confront problems in the right way? Mark chapter 9, 33 through 37. So it says, they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, that's Jesus, that's Jesus. He began to question them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which one of them was the greatest. So you just think about the situation, right? They get in the house, and apparently the disciples have had this private conversation among themselves, competing with one another, you know, which one of the twelve is the greatest one among them all. And when they get in the house, Jesus, I imagine they all sit down, and Jesus, with a very whimsical smile on his face, says, What were you guys talking about? And you imagine the sense of embarrassment and shame as nobody brings it up because deep down of course obviously they know this is not the kind of conversation that Jesus would approve of right so nobody ends up bringing up what they had said what if what if this wasn't addressed what if Jesus just let this fester and let them maintain this attitude among themselves so again, you have a problem here that could be ignored or could go unnoticed because oftentimes when problems be, are private and they stay private, what happens? Do they go away? No, again, like a disease, they fester and they build. That's why churches divide. It's not because of the thing at the moment of the division, whatever it might be. It's because of things under the surface that have been festering that whatever issue might cause the division in the moment really is just unearthing deeper things that have been there for a long time. Verse 35, sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Taking a child, he set him before them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me and whoever receives me does not receive me but him who sent me. So you see Jesus' approach. You don't want to talk about this, we're going to talk about it anyway. There might be times where in our work together as a local church, there may be some really uncomfortable things that we need to talk about. And not that we want to talk about it, not that it's easy to talk about it, but because if we don't, the attitude or the idea going unaddressed could fester and in the long term create divisions or just resentful attitudes or raise tension. So again, it wasn't... It wasn't in Christ that if there was a problem among his disciples that he would just not address it or ignore it. And Jesus wasn't so naive to think that it wasn't a problem or that there wouldn't be problems among his disciples. So again, the apostles, turning back to Acts chapter 6, by the time we get to the church thriving in Jerusalem, the apostles, having adapted these principles, having applied them, having matured in them, The apostles understand the value and the importance of communication. If we do not learn to communicate as a local church, we will not have godly unity. We may spend time together, we may be around each other, but we need to have the kind of communication where we can work through problems together without it exploding into something divisive. But also, you see that they designate responsibility. Problems develop godly leaders. Problems develop godly leaders. They're going to appoint men, seven men, who not only are filled with the Spirit, but of wisdom. How do you gain wisdom to be able to involve yourself in very tense situations? It's experience. Experience in working through difficult situations, especially spiritually difficult situations. Difficult situations or tensions, maybe personally, working on your own relationships, it may be with helping others resolve conflicts that are quickly escalating. But the idea is problems, again, if they're handled in Christ, problems develop godly leaders. So not only are the twelve known leaders in Jerusalem at this time. But this worked out in a wonderful way in verse 5, where now you have seven other men who are now assigned to take care of this task. By the way, this is something that we saw last week in the book of Numbers. Do you remember Moses when he was incredibly overwhelmed and he told God, if this is how it's going to be with me having to bear the responsibility of this entire nation, just kill me right now. Do you remember what God's solution was? Find 70 men besides yourself and designate those 70 men now as leaders who will receive the Spirit as well as you to bear the load with you so that you don't have to bear it alone. Problems throughout God's history and working with his people, problems develop godly leaders. Problems can also expose issues within leadership. When we were in Florida this past week, the brother that we were with was telling us about a situation where um, during COVID, There was an elder of a local church among a group of elders where because the group was not responding quickly enough or well enough to what the elders had decided for like how the group was going to interact with COVID measures, because the group was not doing what he wanted them to do, he just left and went to a different church. And what did that leave the other, other elders with? What did that do to the church when that happened? Well, it made an already tense situation much more tense. It made an already divisive situation much more divisive. And it put a greater responsibility on the elders now to clean up the mess caused by someone just leaving in hardship, right? And so the reason why problems develop godly leaders is because if problems are addressed in faithfulness, it results in a greater steadfast commitment to work through things and be patient and be merciful and to work together, and not just abandon ship when things get hard. It is an incredibly ungodly characteristic when we abandon ship with our brethren when things get hard, when we think evil thoughts about one another, when we're faced with difficulties together, and when we're not willing to humble ourselves and work together very patiently through things. And a part of this, too, was it just wasn't the role of the apostles to serve every kind of need, right? So, like, every single problem that the local church would have didn't just fall on the apostles endlessly, and neither did it on Moses and endlessly either, right? So when the apostles say in verse 4, verse 2 and 4, um, that it's not good for them, not desirable to neglect the word of God to serve tables, I know it, it may sound like it, but they're not saying it's beneath them, to like help in this task. It's the idea that the apostles have a very specific, very critical role that Jesus trained them for and personally appointed them for. And this task is going to take so much time, they would have to leave their role as apostles and would have to leave that role in order to fulfill this other one. And so what's better is that there would be seven men who can dedicate themselves properly to the task, And fulfill that role. And so that's another thing with the local church is different people being able to fulfill different roles. Elders are not deacons. Deacons are not elders. The evangelist is not a shepherd of the church, even though in the world the person who's preaching actively is called the pastor. That's just, that's not the biblical idea. Everything doesn't just fall on one person. Every problem isn't to be solved by one or two people, but the idea is again, you notice in verse 12, verse 2. What did the the Twelve do? They summoned the congregation together. And even though seven men were appointed, the congregation had to work together to resolve the problem. So what kind of men did they appoint? The congregation, again, this was a delegated responsibility. So the apostles weren't going to pick these men out. The congregation was going to pick these men out. Seven men were going to be appointed, first of good reputation, which that would be, I think, that their characteristics of being full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom would be well-proven and well-known. So these were men that the congregation would know of very well who had clear habits of acting in godly ways and acting in wisdom. And I want to make a point on the fact that these were not men of a certain work experience. So they weren't like, well, let's find people whose job maybe involves handling groups of people. That, that wasn't it. And it wasn't like a certain personality type. And it wasn't just even people who take initiative, right? That there was something deeper and much more spiritually internal that they were looking for in this work. And mind you, they're just distributing food. But again, it's not just about the food itself and giving the food to the people. It's about resolving tensions, working with people, reconciling relationship problems and being able to do that with the right attitude and patience so that those tensions don't continue to rise, but rather that unity could be formed and bonds could be properly formed. So think, what does it mean to be full of the spirit? What does that say about these seven men? Think fundamentally, if they're full of the spirit, then what are they emptied of? And if they're full of the Spirit, is this just an external emptiness or is it first an internal emptiness? So these would be men that they've crucified worldly thinking, worldly desires, selfish ambitions, selfish habits, that these are men who are serving God with the right attitude, the right condition of heart, the right faith, and that these are people who are fully invested. Again, not just, you know, Slightly full of the Spirit, but they're they're full of the Spirit. Meaning that these are guys who are fully invested in applying the heart of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus, and the love of Christ. That when you're around these men, they are reflecting the characteristics of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus, the patience of Jesus, the self-control of Jesus. The way that they have um, self-control with their words and their attitude again, would all be because of their application of God's word and their love for God. And what does it mean to be full of wisdom? I think this is going to encompass a little bit of being full of the spirit as well. But this would be men where they have proven to be effective peacemakers. Turn to James chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 13 through 19 as a way, I think, of getting a bigger picture of the different qualities of being full of wisdom that these are men who have proven themselves. Remember, these are men of good reputation, right? Not just that they're likable or generally nice guys, but they needed to have a proven character in the congregation. And what was proven about them is they could effectively work with their brethren in tense situations, and they could work with people to make peace. Look at James 3, verses 13 through 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder. And every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits. Unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So again, imagine with the church in Jerusalem. You have a situation where very vulnerable people are being overlooked in a really critical way. You have a situation that might involve racial tension happening in the local church. And again, imagine how easy it could be for that tension to fester, to grow, to amplify. How important is gentleness in dealing with tension in relationships? How important is purity in heart in dealing with tension in relationships? How important is it to be peaceable, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, to be willing to yield in situations where there's escalating tension? And with wisdom, wisdom recognizes, and this is, I think, the wisdom that comes from diligent application over time and dealing with conflict over time. Wisdom learns to recognize how problems start fundamentally and navigate that, how they escalate, how easily they can escalate, and things that unnecessarily are going to build tension. And wisdom that comes from this experience recognizes how to get to the heart of the problem to resolve it. We already saw that with Jesus in Mark 9. Jesus got to the heart of the problem. He cut right to the heart of the problem. And in my experience, when you're dealing with problems, usually you find out about them when they've already escalated quite a bit. And I've had conversations with brethren where when they begin to unload what's going on, it's like a firestorm. And you just have to step back from everything and say, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a lot of things going on here, and nobody's doing the right thing, and we've got to get to the heart of the issue before we move on or can solve this problem in any meaningful way. And in situations like that, there's always a plethora, a multitude of distracting factors that can make the problem worse or much more difficult to navigate. Usually when you have tension, you have people making accusations against each other. You have people who are wanting you to pick sides. When ultimately, in situations of righteous judgment, is it really about picking sides? Is it about trying to figure out, well, who am I going to justify here? No, it's what does God say? And sometimes, most often, actually, it's nobody's actually right and everybody has to correct their attitude and humble themselves, right? I think a situation where you see this is 1 Corinthians 6. If you could turn in your Bibles there, I think we see an example of this wisdom very very clearly in first corinthians 6 so i'll read verse 1 just to get kind of an idea what is paul addressing first corinthians 6 verse 1 does any of one of you when he has a case against his brother dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints so in corinth you have issues with pride Issues with divisiveness, contention, tension. And you have a situation where brethren are taking each other to human courts. And Paul first, you know, deals with the problem itself. And he brings up, you know, don't you have like a brother who is wise enough to deal with this? So he says in verse, verse 5, um, I say this to your shame, is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother and that before unbelievers. So it's, it's shocking. You have a situation where you're taking each other to court and you don't even have the wisdom to resolve these things among yourselves. But that's still not cutting through to the real heart of the problem. Wisdom is in verse 7. And I think this was something that wasn't even on the radar of the brethren at Corinth. Verse 7. Actually, then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? You know what we have to learn to have unity? It's to learn to yield and let go. (laughs) That can be incredibly difficult when you're the person who's actually maybe even deeply, legitimately wronged in a situation. But Paul's wisdom said... The fact that this escalated, even in the first place, is already a defeat because what you should have done from the very beginning, you should have just let yourself be wronged and let it go. That's the wisdom of Christ, right? So wisdom recognizes how problems start, how they escalate, and how to cut to the heart of the problem to resolve it and not get lost in all of the um, peripheral problems, the landmines that are all over the place, when tensions are already high and you already have escalating things among brethren. And so I think fundamentally, really what we need to learn, each of us, since we're in a congregation that doesn't have elders or deacons, that really we have to learn to apply these things on a much more personal and intimate way. We need to first learn to communicate. So another situation that I run into Um, sometimes is brethren um, who are friends of mine who are in other congregations which do have elders they'll talk to me about a problem going on and you know what my first uh, advice is? Have you talked to the elders about this? You know what they say every single time? No. Because the elders are there as your first response to these problems so that tensions don't arise and it can be so easy again to overlook I need to communicate with the people where I am to resolve this problem, to keep it from festering and going on. Because again, when you don't communicate, the problem will fester and grow. That's how churches divide, is there's no meaningful godly communication that is appropriately happening to address problems as they're arising early enough. We also need to learn to listen patiently. So, the apostles didn't dismiss the problem. They didn't lose their temper. They didn't become angry at the people who were doing the neglecting. You know, they didn't escalate the problem. They listened and they listened patiently. You know, I love James 3 and what it advocates about wisdom being pure, patient, gentle. Listening is critical as much as communication is critical, right? It's good to communicate problems. We will have problems as a local church. And it's not a bad thing. We may have problems in our relationships. We may have problems we have to work through doctrinally. Whatever it is, we are equipped to overcome and work through any problem. And that's simply a reality of being a local church and of growth. And if we're not dealing with problems, if we're not facing any, we may not be growing like we should. And by the way, this church locally has worked through a lot of problems that I have felt could potentially be divisive. As an example of that, um, during COVID, I heard of a lot of churches that divided because of opinions, convictions, people unwilling to yield to one another and work together in churches, things exploded and they divided apart. They were ripped to shreds. That didn't happen here because brethren who had radically different convictions about the situation we're willing to surrender their opinion on the matter and work together to solutions. And so we need to be willing to yield our own will, right? And that's the only way for problems to be overcome. And that gets to so many different places like 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, Romans chapter 14. If we're not willing to yield our will as much as we can, there is a deeper problem with pride. And that is the real issue. That's the heart of the problem. Because humility is willing to surrender and to yield on everything that can be possibly surrendered for the sake of working together with the local church and preserving and maintaining unity. And again, we need to be determined to work together through conflict. One of the most helpful things with this is something that I've heard my father-in-law mention. Um, He's reflected on his past that he felt like he didn't see the local church as much like a family as he does now that it used to be like my family comes first and if the local church does anything to threaten that, I'm out. And he's mentioned that over time as he's studied and learned about the importance of unity in a local church that he needs to see his relationship with brethren in that same way. And so the idea of having love and humility and patience but also a committed resolve is when things get difficult, we don't abandon each other. We don't gossip about each other. We don't throw each other away when things get hard. We fortify our love, we work together, and we strive to seek solutions to whatever problems we face. I want to finish the lesson going to 1 Corinthians 16. Um, So, when Paul was admonishing the church at Corinth about their lawsuits, really there were a great deal of problems, a great many problems that that church was facing. And, any one of those things could divide the church. But Paul was, one by one, equipping them not only to have the right attitude first, but how to have wisdom to resolve things and gain unity through it, one by one. And when everything was laid out in the end, he gives a final exhortation in verse 13 and 14 of First Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14. And I think these are some concluding principles that would equip Corinth and would equip us to accomplish what we see in the book of Acts in chapter 6. Be on the alert. Don't ignore problems. Don't be ignorant. Don't be naive. Stand firm in the faith. Trust God. Know that he gives everything that's needed to overcome problems, have the right attitude. Act like men. You know, there's an idea that we need to be thick-skinned in a sense. I just need to acknowledge that relationships can come with a lot of disappointments and frustrations, and I've got to be willing to take that and endure that without becoming embittered against brethren, because our hearts will be tested. Brethren will disappoint. Brethren will be frustrating. I'll be frustrating. And so we have to be thick-skinned about those things, that we're going to work through those things without losing our resolve or our love for one another. Be strong. Look for solutions endure hardships and let all that you do be done in love not only in act six do we see principles that would cultivate leadership and the right attitude to continue in unity but throughout the new testament what we see is those principles being detailed and expounded on and returned to again and again to equip us to be the people that god has called us to be so that's where we'll end the lesson this morning if you're here and you have not obeyed the gospel, to be outside of the kingdom is to have nothing. But to respond to the gospel, to repent and to confess Christ as Lord, to be baptized for the remission of your sins, God will, in the moment of that faith that is baptized, will commit himself to you completely, will forgive you of all your sins, and he will work to resolve. Every problem that stands in the way of your development in your faith. And that equips us all to work together patiently, with mercy, but with great resolve. If there's anything we can do for you in your faith, we would ask you to bring it forward as we stand and sing our invitation song.